Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Today's show is awesome. And I don't just mean like a regular awesome. It's really, really great. A ton of information. Um, but before we get started, if you don't mind, if you have an Instagram or Facebook, I highly recommend you give us a follow. Um, and also if you're listening on an iOS device, it really helps us out. Uh, if you guys leave us a review, a five-star review, if you love the show, it helps the podcast get noticed in a variety of different ways. Thank you for doing that. Today's show is brought to you by Supergrip ATV Tires. Supergrip ATV Tires are the premier tire in the UTV market. Unless you've had a, your whole or your head in Unless you if you're holding a head, uh, if you, unless you've had your head stuck in a hole, um, you know for a fact that the Super Grip ATV K9 tire uh, with one inch tread depth, eight ply sidewalls with a Kevlar option, um, it's selling like hotcakes. People can't find them because of not only the virus shortages, which should be fixed by. Uh, by now. Uh, there was a, a small shipment that came in in the middle of the month and a shipment that came in or will come in at the end of this month. And uh, let me tell you guys, there's a reason that you can't get your hands on these tires. They perform unlike any tire I've ever had before. I have the confidence to air down to any air pressure I can even imagine. Uh, on my break-in rides, I was doing in the ballpark of three and a half pounds, four pounds, to get those tires nice and soft and to give them the bulge I wanted. Now that they're broken in, five or six pounds, they act like a sticky tire with an extremely aggressive and firm compound. Um, I personally have been very pleased with the tire. I know everyone out there, uh, whether it's the 30, the 32, the 35, they've all been extremely pleased with the performance of their Supergrip ATV K9 tire. You can find out more information about them at supergripatv.com, supergripatv on Facebook and Instagram. They're wonderful people to work with. Also, if you have any questions or inquiries about your tires, feel free to reach out to them uh, via Facebook or Instagram and someone will get in contact with you as soon as possible. Today's show is also brought to you by our current, uh, let's see, what month is it? It's May. Next month, uh, our upcoming sponsor, uh, we're doing a giveaway with Infinite Off-Road. Infinite Off-Road is going to pony up uh, some light pods for us. They're going to pony up uh, a light bar to give away, and that will fit your full-size rig, your daily driver, your UTV, your mom's minivan, uh, and even your dog if you wanted to make it work right. Infinite Off-Road has the craziest warranty in the off-road industry, a 25-year, you-break-it, they-fix-it warranty that covers all Infinite Off-Road products, Infinite Off-Road products including, but not limited to, light bars, light pods, whips, wheel rings, rock lights, um, everything you can think of. I mean, if it's a light, uh, a powering harness, a solution uh, to your wiring, Anything that you can think of, Infinite Off-Road comes with that 25-year, you-break-it-they-fix-it warranty. There is a discount code, 10% off the entire website with Code World Rocks, R-O-C-K-S. Um, sometimes that 10% is the make or break, so uh, I'm really trying to push hard. Tell your friends, put it in your groups on Instagram, Facebook, uh, you know, 10% off, straight out of the gate, no questions asked. Uh, it's a really, really great thing to have. 
Another sponsor, well, before I move on, infiniteoffroad.com, Infinite Offroad on Facebook and Instagram. Another sponsor of ours is All Things UTV. All Things UTV has been with us pretty much since the get-go, and I've been really glad to have, those, uh, have Dustin and his team on board for one simple reason. They carry everything, uh, doors, power, uh, uh, what am I trying to say here, drivetrain accessories, axles, uh, suspension components, seats, everything that you can think of, uh, All Things UTV has you covered. Um, one thing that's really unique about All Things UTV, or two things rather, and they're my two favorite products that I run on my own car, is the Razor Aid Inner Fender Liners, which is a steel liner that has no holes in it, that is completely form-fitted to your machine, that is a steel, essentially a steel uh, wheel well for your UTV in the front. I know we've all seen the horror pictures of uh, sticks and debris coming through the floorboard. No longer is that a worry with the Razor Aid inner fender liners. Everyone also knows about the Razor Aid tender spring upgrade and I've covered that a bunch. Highly recommend both of those products. If you have not already have them on your machine, get them and let them know Racing on the Rocks sent you and uh, upgrade your machine. Now. I skipped a sponsor because today on the show, we are talking to DinoJets Research Inc., their own, uh, one of their product developers, engineers. I, I'm sure he wears a ton of different hats at the company. Uh, his name is TJ Krobe. He is a super smart guy. Um, if you're a dummy like me, I already went back before we even published this episode, and I went back and listened to it and kind of let the ideas mull over. Um, there is some serious benefits to listening to this episode twice, especially if you're looking to be able to diagnose your machine or get the absolute best out of any of your performance upgrades. DinoJet Research Inc.'s very own TJ Crow breaks it down for us, and I'm really glad to have him on. And without further ado, my man, TJ Crow. Get a drink and gather around. Let's talk drivers. Let's talk rigs. Let's talk skill. You've got the best of the best in the off-road racing world. Have a seat at the table with us, and let's talk about racing on the rocks. So we are live. TJ Krogh from Dynajet Research, Inc. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Jesse. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on because I've been getting a lot of questions since we did Matt's episode um, about clutching, about gears, and you know what happens if my clutch does this, my belt does that. And I reached out to Matt and was like, I have technical questions. Are you my guy? And he said, no, let me get you in touch with my guy. So uh, I'm super stoked to have you on and uh, even more excited to talk. Um, but before we get into all the technical stuff, Tell me a little bit about yourself. Who are you outside the business? What do you like to do? What do you not like to do? All that fun stuff. Sure thing. Sounds like a plan. Um, like I said, my name is TJ Krobe. Uh, I'm our product development manager here at DinoJet Research. Um, so Matt, he's from down in Vegas. That's where corporate is. Um, DinoJet Research also has a Montana facility. So we're headquartered in Belgrade, Montana. This is where engineering and production is. Uh, my background is in mechanical engineering. Um, I'm a Kind of a born and bred Montana kid, uh, went to elementary school, high school, college, and then even on to master's school uh, where I finished mechanical engineering uh, back almost 10 years ago and started with DinoJet back in 2011 and uh, just kind of kind of been enjoying our evolution between 
yeah, like you mentioned, Power Commanders, Harleys, back when that was our bread and butter, and now that UTVs are all the rage, it's really cool to be you know, exercising a little bit more of those mechanical engineering and new designs and, and things like that to, to really see and, and blend with the market and advanced DinoJet in that regard. So let's talk about Montana because it's kind of funny. My, my dad, uh, my dad and my mom and dad, God bless them. I love you both. Thank you for the support. They'll always jump on the live stream and they'll always throw something in there and they're big supporters. But my dad has had this lifelong dream to move to Montana and open up a barbecue joint. He's never been to Montana, to my knowledge. He's not even really a big fan of barbecue, to my knowledge, but he's just had one of these, that weird dream there. Um, Montana might be, from the pictures, I've never been myself, one of the most beautiful places in the United States. Where are you located in terms, or will it, like, what's in Montana? Is Yellowstone there? I don't, I don't even know. I know you guys have beautiful scenery and mountains. Yeah, Montana itself is very, very diverse. Um, towards the eastern part of the state, as you approach into the Dakotas, it's kind of flatter, grassland, sagebrush. Um, Belgrade itself, we're located about an hour north of Yellowstone National Park, which is where Old Faithful is in the hot springs and big Yellowstone Lake. Um, most of Yellowstone National Park is in Wyoming. We only have a small quarter of it. Uh, and that's West Yellowstone, Montana, is the name of one of the entry towns to get into the park. So mm -hmm. Montana does claim quite a bit of, yeah, we, we've got Yellowstone in our name. Um, but but all in all, once you get past, oh, the Billings area, as you work your way from east to west in Montana, you start getting into a little bit more, more mountains, more ruggedness. Um, uh, we have everything from kind of uh, high mountain deserts and... Um, oh. Uh, and then into lots of lodgepole forests. And then as you go all the way to the west side of the state, it is trees and trees and trees, some of the tallest and just thickest forests up in the northwest corner of the state. That'd be Glacier National Park yeah. um, is up there. And that's you'll see a ton of um, famous posters from Glacier National Park. And the scenery up there is just, just impeccable. Now... Uh, how close are you guys, I mean, before I even go there, because I want to talk about Utah and like, you guys are right in the thick of like the, the beautiful part of the country, in my opinion. Everyone loves their part of the country. I'm from Tennessee. Like we have, you know, the big, thick Tennessee, humid woods and all that kind of fun stuff. But you really seem to be in what I would consider like the pinnacle of the United States. Um, can you ride uh, UTVs or off-road like OHV altogether? Where, like, can you ride in all those locations? Yeah, yeah, for the most part. Um, Montana, uh, we do have a lot of national forest land. Um, mm -hmm. And then there is wilderness. Of course, we can't take our UTVs or bikes there. Those are off limits to any mechanized use, including a pedal bike or a wheelbarrow. Wow. Um, so we do have plenty of acreage of national forest land. And it kind of depends on the areas. Um, the Forest Service does regulate our recreation. Kind of just like anywhere, um, if there's old 1940s logging roads that are still in development and big Jeeps are crawling up them, that's mm -hmm. perfect. Um, otherwise, they might decommission that road. And you could tell that it used to be there in mm -hmm. that land of the forest. And then they've, they've closed it down, whether it be to e erosion or kind of just stream water access for other. Uh, there's some, some fish in the stream that they didn't want to disturb. Mm -hmm. um, but then all in all, yeah, we do have, we have a, Pretty plentiful miles of places to take UTVs, dirt bikes, snowmobiles. Um, that's really my my kind of 
my passion and growing up has always been snowmobiles. I've been riding those since I was two. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's pretty early to be on a machine with some ridiculous power. <laughs> yeah, the, the the snowmobiles back then they're they're quite small, little kitty cats. You can you can put a little tyke on them and uh, be able to cruise around in the flats, um, following following dad as close as possible. Yeah. Um, but then yeah, as far as actually getting out acreage, miles of terrain, it kind of varies by forest that you that you can end up in and what size rigs you can mm -hmm. take into places. We do have fifty inch restrictions on a lot of ATV trails. So you have everything from the walking only paths to the single track only, so dirt bike. Um, yeah. some, there's some world-class cross-country dirt bike riding out here. And then um, there's also the 50-inch ATV trails or UTV trails. Mm -hmm. And then you jump up another level and then you're on Jeep, Jeep trails where you might find land cruisers and Jeeps and the big side-by-sides. The 72-inch wide guys are welcome. And the cool thing about Montana is we can ride our UTVs on the street if they're street legal with a horn and a mirror. Dude, that's crazy. Uh, I know here in Tennessee, they just made us a class and people in Tennessee are going to rake me over the coals because this is probably inaccurate. Uh, we can get a class uh, one where we're able to go on the highway now. Like I've seen an X3, a Can-Am crush me in my truck on the interstate. And I'm just like, Look, my machine can probably do 70, 75, but there's no way you could get me going down the interstate. It just is a bad idea. Bad, a bad idea. But uh, so before we go uh, too much further, because uh, Matt wants to talk about a story in Moab, what machine do you have? What's your background in? You mentioned snowmobiles. Uh, you guys, again, come from a Harley background, uh, a bunch of different uh, applications for what you guys do. Where is your background? What do you like to ride and what do you have now? Um, so my background, I guess, if we want to start on the snow side, um, mm -hmm. I, I've ridden snowmobiles, like I said, since I was two. I've gone from just the little tyke, the little kitty cat, up through the 1980s Jags and the little 440 fan-cooled sleds that are averaging 60 horsepower, and then mm -hmm. just kept working my way up through as I grew up. And uh, then I've one of my last builds was a turbocharged Polaris RMK that was around 200 horsepower. Um, and that was one of the fastest power. <laughs> yeah, on, on a snowmobile. Yeah. Um, and uh, then for on the dirt side, um, I used to race motocross when I was younger. But then when I started back at DinoJet in 2011, a couple years later, I got interested in kind of trail riding. Mm -hmm. So now I actually ride a YZ250 uh, on the trails, um, just, just for, for dirt, having yeah. fun, fashion through the woods. Um, and then on the UTV side, uh, I have a 2016 Polaris 900 that's actually my wife's. It's her toy, her baby. baby. I was actually just out in the shop working on it a little bit. Um, it's equipped, of course, with our, our DinoJet clutch kit and our PowerVision 3 Tune. Um, it was actually one of the first rigs that we developed the PowerVision CX on, so our, our uh, line of products prior to the PowerVision 3. It was kind of one of our our uh, test mules in the shop that just lived here, and we tested and tested and kept continuing to develop firmware support. Um, so it kind of lives here as, as one of those. Um, and then also um, snow biking has become a thing as well. That's another toy that we like to play with. So you take a, a 450 motocross bike or any fuel-injected four-stroke dirt bike and you rip the tires out from under it you put a ski on the front end and a big track out the back oh and you can get into some pretty impressive places with those that's that's also growing in popularity here and uh, it, it's really really fun to be be part of that you know dino jets involved with fuel injected dirt bikes 
carburetor kits, um, you know, of course, flashing for UTVs, and then our power commander line supports a lot of snowmobiles. Mm -hmm. um, I'm working hard to increase our our reflash support into the snowmobile line. Who knows yeah. if it'll ever happen, but that's where my heart's <laughs> at. <laughs> and uh, try and try and get people reflashing their snowmobiles here in a while. Yeah, that so that just kind of opens the gate. We'll we'll talk about it. Um, okay, Dynajet, obviously the the actual is all over the place to vehicles. Um, it sounds like, you know, you mentioned words like firmware, things like that. Uh, my listeners are pretty, I'm sure, tired of me beating the dead horse. I come from a background in software engineering, uh, and obviously that doesn't always translate over to uh, software versus hardware, aka can you touch it versus uh, I can't touch it. So there's the definitive line there um, for those who, who aren't as familiar. Um, my software doesn't always translate over to hardware. Uh, what is it like developing, you know, or, or building on machines that are essentially like people's people's hobbies where they have the most fun possible? I, I don't work in that kind of industry, but what is it like to, to live in an industry where you work and play and they're kind of like intertwined with each other? Uh, man, I couldn't be more blessed to be doing what I'm doing. Uh, the Just to be picked up by DinoJet years ago, to be passionate about um, playing with toys and working on them. It, it's just such a thrill to come to work to e each day and whether mm -hmm. it be interacting with customers. I'm kind of the engineer guy. I, I am in the background. I don't have much of a, a social presence, if you will, outside the company. You know, DinoJet Matt, he's he's the classic name. Everybody knows that guy. Of course. Um, us kind of being in, in the shadows, we, we get to kind of trickle ourselves out there and see what people are asking, what people are after. Um, I'll go to, of course, like uh, some of the UTV events you mentioned uh, down in Moab, Rally on the Rocks. For, for me mm -hmm. to go out of the office and go and talk to the customers is really beneficial for us to see as an engineer, what can I bring back to the guys here, whether it might be a firmware bug that I just somehow stumbled about in the field while I was interacting with a customer right there in the DinoJet booth in mm -hmm. Moab or wherever it might be. Um, so to, to bring some of that uh, development stuff back to the engineers here is, is really proven fruitful the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the passion's where it's at. We, uh, we work yeah. hard and we play hard around here. That's kind of our, our motto. Yeah, that's awesome. So we'll, I want to, I want to start. And for those who are listening right now, um, this is a technical conversation. I wanted to bring TJ on to get into the weeds of um, a lot of times you'll hear people say, my belt's squealing. My clutch is doing this. My, you know, this is, I drive, it feels, there's a bunch of these symptoms, which to technical, more mechanical answers and explanations. And I know a lot of guys that work on the, they may not know necessarily how things are working. They just know if you experience this, here's the, di you know, diagnosis, here's the cure. Um, and I really wanted to get into it because uh, one of the really cool things about your guys's stage two kit that I actually run on my car is in the clutching, you can make adjustments. Um, there's room for adjustments. I know the power vision three actually does logging where you can eventually get to the point where you make adjustments, um, able to grasp the full concept of what's happening, how the clutches work, how the gears work, how the tune works and be able to, you know, make an educated, uh, either assumption on how to fix their or fine tune their equipment or how to diagnose an issue 
and, and eventually teach others. Because when you understand the system and you can talk about it, uh, you can you understand what's going on. You know how to fix it uh, accurately and appropriately. So with that, I think uh, and you can. Is clutches the right place to start here? Should we start at the clutches and then work backwards to the tune? Yeah, 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 we can do that. And Jesse, just a heads up, your Wi-Fi has been uh, glitching out just a little bit. Um, okay. but I, I've, I've caught most of all the stuff you've been saying. Am I cutting out audio or is it the video? Both. Okay, awesome. I will I will definitely make note of that and I will try and uh, get it all cleaned in here. If I, if I cut out to a point where you can't hear me at all, just let me know and I can actually move uh, and, and hook this bad boy. So uh, with that, um, the CVT clutching that's in these vehicles, um, do you want to just give a general understanding, a general explanation of how the actual clutching in a UTV works? Sure. Yeah, the, the continuously variable transmission, the CVT as it's called, um, it consists of two parts. You've got your primary clutch that is the RPM sensing link in the equation that's on your engine. Uh, and then your load sensing link is your secondary that's bolted to uh, your transmission in a lot of UTVs or on snowmobiles, it might be a jack shaft or a chain case. They're, they're used in the industries in, in quite a few places. Um, the link between those is, of course, a belt. It's a, a rubber compounded belt. Um, it might be just pure rubber. It might have carbon tensile cords running throughout it. It might be impregnated with fiberglass or there's all different realms of, uh, of how these belts work. Um, some are top cogs, some are smooth on top. Uh, and uh, the, the way these link together is as you increase engine RPM, the primary sheaves begin to move together. So that's your first part uh, is you increase an RPM, the fly weights, those, uh, those weights that you mentioned, you can make adjustments um, as the centripetal acceleration of those increases, that mass wants to propel itself away from the center line of your clutches, which uh, if you've ever looked at a clutch weight, I actually have one here. I brought props. Perfect. <laughs> um, the back side of this, this normally hangs in your clutch like so. Mm -hmm. As it swings outward, that forces the sheaves on the primary clutch together, um, thus grabbing the belt and beginning to rotate and transfer um, the engine's power to the secondary clutch. Um, and as you increase up to redline RPM, the, the weights are just going to keep moving further and further away from the center line. Uh, you're going to increase your gear ratio um, and go faster and faster. Uh, on the flip side, the secondary clutch, some people might think of you, ha you have two, uh, two links here. You've got your, your input from your engine and then the output of the secondary going into your, into your transmission. Um, if we wanted to analyze these as kind of like a free body diagram system, um, instead of saying the secondary is an output, um, the, the, the way it needs to sense load is by input from the tires, input into the transmission, and then input back into the secondary clutch itself. Um, okay. So when you compile all those, um, the, the secondary clutch's job is to sense that load and give feedback to uh, the, the primary clutch really through the shifting of the belt. Um, if, if the secondary clutch gets a big load, um, and you're, you're, you start climbing a hill, um, you're in deep snow, um, anything like that, that increases load from, you're just cruising down the highway at 30 miles an hour, and then you hit a big hill. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Perfect. 
the uh, the secondary clutch is going to sense that, or the load is being sensed by that, and it will uh, move up and in and out realistically move the belt up and down to change your gear ratio and then feed that back to the primary which is kind of the slave in in the in the situation then where all it can do is try to adjust its uh, rpm to stay at that it might be peak rpm it might be 5000 depending on where you're running in the power band mm -hmm. um, and that that's how how it all kind of wraps together is the, the clutches have to work together and that's how you end up with a a smooth and tuned ride, um, whether you're high elevation, like, like we end up at 10,000 feet, or if you're, you're cruising the dunes, uh, with big paddle tires, or you're crawling around in the rocks back in Tennessee. Okay. So uh, run me through a, a couple of those scenarios. You just mentioned high elevation, sand and rock crawling. Um, what adjustments actually on that flyweight that you just held, uh, you know, you mentioned it's, it's pushing everything together and in creating engagement at different points. Um, how does the actual adjustments go through? Like, I'll give you an example for mine. Um, I, I took mine out right out for the trail 30 inch or 32 inch tire. And uh, it is actually, it pulled my low gear right where I needed to, in my opinion, it actually, so I'm actually running a 30 inch tall tire, a little bit of a heavier 30. So I decided to throw it in that 30 to 32 trail package. Um, and it's, it's perfect because it really pulls it down. How say, for example, if it was too low or if it was too high, how does the adjustment of those weights come into keeping everything in and out? Sure. Uh, so the, the, the flyweight itself, um, the adjustable weights that you might have, depending if you're a Can-Am guy or a Polaris guy, this is a, a new Polaris weight with three magnet holes. As the weight is hanging um, kind of at, at idle or at low RPM, um, mm -hmm. all the mass concentrated around the pin um, is what is engaging your, your primary rollers at, at low RPM. Um, so if you add magnets to this hole near the pivot, um, it will give you more ability to pinch the clutch, pinch the belt um, at lower RPM. If you were to wait out here, since I'm further away from this pivot pin, the, it, there's more mass away from the pivot mm -hmm. and it takes more, more power, more RPM to hold it out there. So you can develop a, a ride that feels different ways. Um, if you want something that's kind of kind of revy, and if you're a turbo guy, it doesn't build boost right away, but it feels kind of revy. You can you can tip weight, and it'll feel really free at the at the low because I'm not weighted very far here. Um, mm -hmm. But then as soon as it gets farther and farther and tries to keep swinging, that's when we're trying to control RPM. We're trying to control shift, trying to keep everything from slipping the belt at, at high RPM when we're waiting out here. Um, you also mentioned uh, like rock crawling versus dunes versus high mm -hmm. elevation. Um, engines lose 3% of their power per thousand feet of elevation gain. Mm -hmm. um, so just on account of that, if you have a, a ride that's been tuned by Polaris or Can-Am for their sea level calibrations and you come up several thousand feet, you're now down on power and you might not be able to pull that weight. Your RPM might drop off of that peak, say it's 8,000 RPM. If you're mm -hmm. down at 7,800, you're not really obtaining the maximum potential from your machine. That's why we offer our adjustable clutch kit. You can you can pull a couple magnets out, drop a couple grams, and the engine is still trying to make 
that much power, but it just, it just can't because it can't breathe the air. It's breathing less dense air at that mm -hmm. point. So I've got two questions there. Um, you mentioned, you know, the sea level uh, from Can-Am or Polaris to kind of sea level setup. Do they alter, do they build um, vehicles area specific or do they just build one singular package and it goes across the nation or across the globe? It, it kind of depends on the power sport that you're, that you're talking about. Um, for Skidoo and Polaris in the sled world, they will have a zero to 3000 feet clutch calibration mm -hmm. and then up here we'll have an eight to ten thousand feet clutch calibration that might consist of different weights different springs sometimes a different helix mm -hmm. um should it be should it be needed to control the the rate of the secondary shifting um in terms of how the utv side goes um i probably can't answer that fully um mm -hmm. but from what i've been told yeah we don't have varied clutching setups delivered from the manufacturers at this point that's what I, that's what I suspect. Um, and then that's not a knock on, on them at all, but that's what I would suspect in terms of, um, at the rate at which they're pushing these machines out, especially right now where, um, there's a large scarcity of, uh, but there's a large scarcity of machines, of course, due to the virus and whatnot. But, um, sure. the, the other thing that you mentioned there was, uh, not only the sea level, but, uh, when you go up, in uh, elevation, you mentioned you're breathing, the machine is breathing less dense air. Um, are these UTVs not set up to do or, or to, to balance that out? Or is this, or is that something that has to be compensated for um, just because they're not designed to handle the elevation? They are designed to, to handle it. The ECU, the electronic control unit on each of these UTVs is extremely smart. It does, uh, tons of thousands of calculations per second, depending on the speed of the processor inside the ECU and the speed of the crystal and the clock that the firmware is running at. Um, so as you go up in elevation, you're going to start to lose um, manifold pressure. Um, mm -hmm. And there's sensors on board on the machine to sense that. So you'll effectively start running in a different location, a different table, uh, yeah. a different row in a specific table. Um, you're going to change your spark advance based on that, that manifold pressure. Um, sometimes uh, at, at key on, e each of these uh, rigs might sample barometric pressure. So it can shift you automatically into a different set of tables already. Mm -hmm. So the machines are totally designed to handle um, uh, pressure changes uh, induced by elevation change. But also we can't forget about temperature and humidity and things like that. And there's also intake air temp sensors on these that may alter the tune and the performance. I shouldn't say tune, I should just say raw performance. The, the engineers at each of the OEMs work very hard to create um, 2D, 3D, 4D sometimes fueling adjustment tables, spark advance uh, change is as you alter all of these inputs at that point, you know, throttle position is an, an input to the system, how fast you wanna go. Um, right. Again, you got manifold pressure, engine temp, intake air temp. Um, so the rigs are designed electronically to handle everything we can throw at them when it comes down to hard parts, like, uh, we're clutching and we're just, we can't make as much power. No, the rig is not going to automatically compen compensate for that. And that's where we come in with some different springs, different helix, and, uh, you make adjustments to your machine to make it run perfect where you ride. Okay, perfect. Uh, before we leave the talk of the weight adjustments, um,
uh, in the manual that you get with your adjustments, um, it gives you a specific number. Is, is that 8,000 RPM or is it 8,500? It kind of depends on the machine. Uh, it, we always give a spec at a, at a certain mile per hour. It might mm -hmm. be 45 miles an hour, it might be 50 miles an hour uh, in our uh, technical literature. Uh, and we'll say at 50 miles an hour, you want your target sh uh, RPM to be 8,000 RPM. On, on some other rigs, like the naturally aspirated Razor 900, it might be around 7850. And that's just based on where the, that engine is the most happy. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you, you know, uh, you guys even mentioned if it's, if it's not there exactly, uh, you know, you may want to make an adjustment. How much of an RPM, well, let me ask you this. I'm off by 100 RPM from my target. Is that worth making an adjustment for? Um, myself personally, if I knew I was going to go up in elevation on my next ride, um, you know, if I'm at my lowest elevation, I mm -hmm. would probably make that adjustment. If I was a hundred RPM low, I would go mm -hmm. ahead and pull out a, a couple of grams because I know that my intended ride that I'm going to go on, I'm going to be higher. I'm going to make less power. and I'm not going to have the RPM that I want. Mm -hmm. um, if I was a hundred RPM high and I was going to go down in elevation, yes, I would also make that adjustment. The, um, you can run into over rev and uh, your, you know, fuel economy. If you're going to be going on a big long ride um, and you're you're going to be spinning too fast, you're just just consuming more fuel at that point. Mm -hmm. um, so it kind of it's personal preference of where you're going to be ending up. Um, but 100 RPM in some cases might not be worth uh, changing your clutching setup over. Okay, uh, and that's why I ask. I know a lot of it does come down to preference, but I'm always curious in terms of uh, you know. At what point would you say, if, if you're off by 500 or 200 RPM, what's the point where you're like, you need to for sure make adjustments? Yeah, that, that 200 RPM mark is probably the, that make or break. 500, you're, you're definitely you're yeah. way down on power or you're just completely over revving. That's, uh, um, that's too far out. But yeah, 200 RPM is about right. Okay, awesome. And you mentioned one more piece of the actual CV or the primary clutch itself was the helix. How, what does the helix do while it's actually moving around in there? And uh, what does an upgraded helix, what advantage does that give in terms of performance or, you know, what's different necessarily in the design? I know that may get into a little bit of, you know, un, un, uh, maybe proprietary secrets, but, uh, you know, what can you tell me about the helix? So the helix in the secondary clutch uh, is what that's designed to do is control uh, how fast or how, I shouldn't say how fast or slow, it's more of the um, how easily the clutch can open and close given mm -hmm. the spring pressure in the secondary. Um, as, the, as the two sheaves are moving in and out, they don't just move back and forth, they actually twist. Uh, mm -hmm. One will be stationary and one will roll on the rollers. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have a very shallow helix to get the same amount of, say I need my belt to move from here to here. Mm -hmm. um, if I have a one angle of a helix and it takes the, the distance that it needs to move that same half an inch of secondary displacement, it, if it's at one angle of a helix, it might have to twist 30 degrees mm -hmm. to get there on a, a steeper helix, it's going to accomplish that half an inch of motion just falling down the side really rapidly mm -hmm. um, without much actual kind of time or secondary spring compression. And the mm -hmm. secondary spring is what regulates um, the 
how the belt is being grabbed within the secondary then. Okay, awesome. Uh, uh, one thing I do want to mention, which is the connecting piece to all this, yeah. is belts. Um, you know, a lot of people will ask questions about belts, and you mentioned earlier things that, you know, make up the belt that may determine its quality and whatnot. Um, but say, for example, someone installs a clutch kit and they still hear that belt whine, um, you know, is it the smoothness of the belt or is there like a clear to be there? What was that, Jesse? Uh, you cut out on that last part there. Sorry. Is there is there a clear distinguishing factor that may lead to things like belt wine or belt life expectancy that can be adjusted in the clutch? Um, there, there's some maintenance items that uh, are really key to um, belt performance and clutching performance. Um, th this rubber belt um, for uh, for a manufacturer to, to produce them. Mm -hmm. uh, they go through a, a mold and they use a mold release residue or a resin to make that belt pop out of the, the mold itself. So mm -hmm. step one, clean your belts, wash them with soap and water. Even if you've got a brand new belt, it's the best thing you can do. Get that, make sure that residue is not on the belt. Cause then all that happens is you put it on, uh, your CVT system mm -hmm. and the clutch has a, it, it can slip right up, right out of the get-go. It still needs to burn through that residue. Um, the next thing is the cleanliness of your sheaves. Um, if you're still seeing belt wind, belt slip, it starts in the primary. And an easy way to um, sometimes rectify that is to take just a piece of Scotch-Brite and you can uh, run your Scotch-Brite up and down the primary sheaves just to clean them off. Uh, get rid of any grit, uh, make sure they're smooth, they aren't pitted. Um, and the same thing goes for the secondary shoes. Make sure everything's clean um, because they all, both of those factors, the cleanliness of your sheaves and the cleanliness of your belt, um, uh, we're relying on friction here. And in this case, the coefficient of friction for uh, the, the system is mu, uh, the kinetic coefficient of friction between the belt sheaves and the rubber compound uh, can vary by belt manufacturer. If you have a really hard durometer belt, mm -hmm. um, sometimes the aluminum sheaves have a hard time grabbing it. You go to a softer compound, the coefficient of friction increases and you have less slip, belt life might drop um, mm -hmm. on account of that. Um, other things you can look for when analyzing a CVT system are pulled cords. Um, if you look at the side of a belt and you're, you're starting to see fraying edges and some chafing and you're missing chunks out of the, the top cogs of the belt, might be time to replace that bad boy. Okay, very interesting. Okay, uh, so one more thing uh, before we go on to uh, clutch, or before we move away from the clutching, temperature of your clutches and your belt and things like that. Performance of your clutches and belts. And, you know, if someone does get themselves in, you know, a 240 degree plus crazy situation, uh, you know, is a, is a vent or is it open air? I know a lot of dune guys, they seem to run no, no clutch guard or anything on there. Um, is there any, is there any actual science behind that? Um, to say where the, that make or break temperature is for, if you go to 250 degrees, your belt's going to explode. Not really. Um, it, that's, uh, that's always subjective to how close is your sensor that you're aiming at the belt. Are you seeing the aluminum part, are you seeing the black part, and how high quality is your infrared sensor, if that is the style sensor that you're using to 
to view belt temps. Um, active ventilation on UTVs that are undergoing high loads, high speeds, you know, to have a little fan in the, uh, um, the clutch intake air uh, mm -hmm. can, can pay dividends. Um, you get, there's some air stagnation that, that can happen um, within the inlet and the outlet of the, um, the clutch venting system. So to keep clean air moving through there, that's also critical. Cl clean is a, is a big deal for that belt cavity. Um, the guys in the dunes that, that you see, yeah, that sand just, it blasts into the clutches and it makes them all shiny and then it, it falls back out. Um, it, uh, it, it can lead to, to wear in some cases, but other times it, it can be, it's just easier um, and pulling the cover every time and pulling out two pounds of sand. So yeah. just let it get in there and let it fall out. Yeah. That's always been one where I, I you know, it doesn't take a genius to realize that if you're throwing sand in your clutches, eventually they're not going to be the same that they were when you started. So uh, right. I always, I always have wondered if the risk benefit was there. Um, but it sounds like it may, maybe, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. You know. Right. Um, okay. Gearing. So, when the actual transmission comes into play, everyone is familiar. Transmissions are just gears on gears and they turn and then they turn something else and so on and so forth. The CVT, when you make an adjustment to the actual clutching, you're making an adjustment and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, this is, I'm phrasing it as a question more than anything else. You're changing the point at which in the power band of your engine, the belt is being engaged by making a clutch adjustment, correct? In a way, yes. Feel free to explain further or correct me if that's if that's incorrect. Th that, that is basically correct. Um, if you look at it as just a, your transmission input shaft, what your secondary is connected to, mm -hmm. if you make alterations and you used to run 8,000 RPM at 50 miles an hour and now you're running 7,000 RPM at 50 miles an hour, uh, your clutching system is inputting a different a, a different load a different uh speed to that that secondary shaft and then the input into your transmission maybe you went up two tire sizes and, and now you're you're uh you're at a different spot in the gearing um so all in all the the gears inside the transmission yes they are affected by what you change in your cvt system purely by the what ends up happening with your belt speed how fast is your belt going and how fast is that secondary clutch rpm moving based on what clutching setup that you've changed okay so that pretty much answers my question about gearing because there's a lot of polaris guys i know um just for the listeners david uptain the guy who runs razor life he and uh, a few other guys in that alabama area uh, they always put lower gears in their turbos because the gears are just a little bit too tall right from the factory. So they'll always gear them back down for the rock crawling application. And I, I had assumed after when you really think it through, that seems exactly your explanation is the conclusion you come to when you make a clutching adjustment, how it affects the transmission. Um, so obviously I'm gonna, this is, uh, should be an easy answer here. If I make adjustments to my, or my gearing, if I were to gear my vehicle down, uh, I would have to assumingly re-gear or reset up my clutch. Is that correct? In some cases, yes. Um, I wouldn't say it's 100% of the time. Um, if you're always just rock crawling and you just wanted that low gear, that lower low gear, mm -hmm. um, your engine might still be happy with just 
running running as it is um, and you might not get the full advantage and the full benefit of that gearing change that you just made um, since your your transmission has more mechanical advantage over the wheels now your secondary doesn't have to work as hard so you might be able to go to a different uh, rate or different angle on your helix and then since the that load sensing part that torque sensing link in the secondary clutch it's not having to work as hard um, you might be able to up your primary weight because you're just going to over rev mm -hmm. if uh, if you didn't add primary weight. Okay. Okay. Perfect. And that's kind of the, the 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 high level explanation of how those two interact that I really wanted to nail. And and that leads us to tuners because tuners play a a role in um, everything. They essentially have their hands in, in the wires and every piece of it. Um, can you explain? Uh, at a very high level, how an ECU controls things like shift points and fuel, and then what a tune does uh, when you apply to that. What exactly are you guys changing? So what a, an ECU is in charge of, say, um, is there a rig that you wanted to chat about in particular? A Razor 1000 XP. That's kind of the, the base model for the UTV market. Okay. So the, the Razor 1000 XP, it's naturally aspirated. The ECU is in charge of basically everything that that's happening once you once you key it on and, and start it. Um, a it has tables. The ECU has tables inside of it for given these sets of inputs. We talked about uh, intake air temp. We talked about engine coolant temp. Um, it, it will give you an output and say at two thousand RPM and twenty percent load, or maybe that equates to eight PSI of manifold absolute pressure, give me four milliseconds of fueling. And also spark the, the spark plug on the PTO side at, at 22 degrees before top dead center and the mag side at 24 degrees at before top dead center. Um, and then there's also the uh, limitations. So there's safeguards inside each of these ECUs to say, don't let this rig run over 75 miles an hour. Don't let the RPM go over 9,000 RPM. At those points um, on the speed side, uh, these are drive-by-wire machines, which means there's no physical link between your pedal and the throttle blades. It's an electronic servo that is controlling the throttle blades, and based on the pedal input that you're giving, it will twist the servo in the throttle blades to open that more air in, make more power. Um, and uh, in the case of rev-limiting characteristics, it will begin to stutter fuel, stutter timing to keep it from revving any higher so you don't make any more power. Tunes, like our PowerVision 3, um, that we actually expose those tables to a consumer or for the guys who are gonna put on a, uh, a different exhaust. Maybe they're just gonna put on different tires and they want their speedometer to continue to be accurate. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're scaling for uh, the number of pulses that uh, the tires are spinning at a Hall effect sensor inside the transmission that mm -hmm. sensor 50 ticks per revolution equates to a 29 inch tire. Well, sure. at that point, if you're changing tire sizes, um, your ticks per revolution is now different and we expose that table so you can change your, what your speedometer is going to read. Um, so from mild to wild, the, the power vision line and what is exposed, um, airflow tables, when you want your fans to turn on, um, how you want your your drive-by wire to feel. You know, if you want a really, really touchy throttle pedal, 
um, we can do that for you in a tune or it, uh, the great thing about our DinoJet PowerCore software is that the tuning is open to you. You can open a file and make the changes that you want. So that that's like, first off, as, as someone who, you know, is familiar with computers, I'm like, oh, great. And then immediately I'm realizing, man, can I get myself in hot water? Can I, can I ruin my machine, you know, by making adjustments like that, by getting that software? In some cases, yes, it's definitely possible. You can um, go too lean. Um, you can over advance and lead to detonation inside the engine. Um, luckily, there are uh, some. I'm tied to my engine ever. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, there are there are some safeguard sensors. There's neuroband oxygen sensors on the a lot of the new machines as well, which senses the air fuel ratio leaving the exhaust. And it's not a a perfect science. A narrowband sensor only can switch at 14.7 parts of air to one part of fuel or one part or 1.0 lambda. Um, so that's great for low load and cruising. But then once you go into open loop, if you somehow get into your tables and you pull 30% of the fuel out at wide open where the vehicle is running in open loop, yes, that can be detrimental to your engine. Sure. Yeah. That, that, so, uh, I, I will, I will make the voice of, uh, some of the listeners. If any of the information is, uh, something you would like to hear again, we will have an audio version of this because I know I'm already going to have to go back and make sure I listen to all this to catch all the details. Cause this is, incredible information. And I'm I think we're going to dive even deeper because I'm going to ask, uh, the, the power vision, if I send you guys, or if I, if I were to, uh, just ask the question, Hey, I do want my throttle to be, you know, a little bit more responsive right out of the gate. What is the process for me as the consumer to make that change or to make a request to make that change? How, how would that start in terms of me wanting to make that change? Sure. Once you've obtained your power vision and you've, you flashed your vehicle um, and you've gone out and driven it and you're, you're thinking, oh, I, I could use a little bit more right here. I want it to feel just a little bit different. I want my fan to kick on five degrees warmer for some reason. Um, you can uh, email um, our, our uh, online ticket system at pv3tech, so pv3tech at dinojet.com. And that will set up a request and our tech support guys in Las Vegas uh, can help you with that if you give them, I'm running this tune off of your website, it'd have a, a part number, a SKU associated with it, and mm -hmm. you can just request, you can email in your tune and ask, on this tune, can you just make the, these few changes? And we're happy to do that for you. DinoJet offers free tuning service and changes for the lifetime that you own that machine, that PowerVision, and our tunes are free for download on our website. That's amazing. Uh, so let me ask you this. If I were to say, hey, I have, you know, I'm, I'm running the most basic version. Uh, like I, I am on my machine, stock exhaust, applied the tune. You know, if, if I were talking to TJ, not the DinoJet representative, and I was talking to TJ, the enthusiast, uh, what recommendations would you give to me that I can maximize? Um, how, let me think about how I can say this right. Uh, to maximize the full benefits that the PowerVision 3 offers me, you know, things like pedal adjustment and, and fan temperatures. What are the suggestions that you say, hey, I would check out, you know, your fan temperatures or this or that? What are the things you would recommend? A lot of those changes um, we've already incorporated into our, our off-the-shelf tunes. So we have changed those fan temperatures to what, what we've found is pretty commonly requested. Um, other stuff that you might uh, have requests on that we 
don't do as as a company um, just for for safety reasons might be you're going to put in a set of four point harnesses and you're going to lose that little plug in um, and either have to do a little jumper thing. You can turn that off in our our software, save your own tune, and then you can you can do that. Um, also, I mentioned tire size changes. Um, that calibration is is in there. Um, so if, if you do start going down the road of making changes to your vehicle, that software is there for you to, to make those changes. Otherwise, feel free, request at our, our helpline, uh, uh, that uh, email, and uh, you can request those changes. Otherwise, if, if you yourself, you're the enthusiast, um, if you want a really snappy feeling pedal, um, there's a couple tables that you can make adjustments to. Um, if it were me, Sometimes the drive-by wire tables are too aggressive and you end up ripping the, uh, the refrigerator door out in your toy hall when you're trying to load, load your razor into the back of it. Um, so of, of all those things, we, we've set up a good set of baseline tunes for, for the general public, stock exhaust, stock intake. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we have our full exhaust tunes. Um, in Turboland, we have tunes for when you get to a, a different turbocharger, when you get to a, a boost tube, a full exhaust, whatever it might be. Um, so, so all in all, um, when you're, if you've got your power vision and it's mounted on, on your razor, just mm -hmm. do a couple logs. There's a fancy little round button that if you're monitoring live data, just, just press that button, do a couple logs, sit down, review it at home. Um, look for any, you know, random over revs. Um, maybe it was not shifting at that 50 miles an hour and 8,000 RPM and you caught it on your fourth ride out. Mm -hmm. um, you can then diagnose that, oh, my, some, something kind of changed here. Maybe I should check out these logs and verify what I was seeing four, four rides ago is the same. It might be different. So that's a, a very powerful logging tool in your pocket. Yeah, that's amazing. And I feel like that's something that a lot of guys will not take advantage of. And that's why I wanted to spend a couple minutes on it because maybe it's me because I'm um, a nerd and I love this kind of stuff and I love the tech side of it, but uh, I've already turned mine on. I have sets of logging from my last few rides. Uh, I love it. And it's really, really cool if you're a numbers person to be able to see how everything's kind of laying itself out. Um, but I will say this too, uh, just for the sake of the interview, um, Power Vision 3, you know, we'll use our, our, we'll use my car as an example, stock intake, stock manifold, uh, stock exhaust, uh, what are the benefits that you guys market for that tune that comes on there uh, preloaded? So with that that particular rig, we do alter those drive-by-wire tables. Um, we make them feel just, just a touch snappier. And also, in some cases, the low-range tables might not have gone all the way out to 100% uh, torque request. So we, we increase that. Um, we also alter the fueling uh, delivery. Um, we actually, on the machines that we pre-develop those tunes for, we install a wideband sensor in the exhaust. We watch exactly what's coming through and we alter the fueling delivery to match exactly what that request should be, um, whether it be at cruise or uh, high RPM to make sure if the fueling table wants to request 13.2 and that's where peak power is, that's what we make sure it gets. Nice. Uh, for, for high quality 91 octane fuel, uh, we also alter the, the spark advance tables to make sure that if you want to take take advance uh, or take advantage of you're always going to run good octane fuel. Um, we can give you a couple extra degrees of timing. Um, 
Earlier, I also mentioned how the throttle blades will close at a certain mile per hour to keep them from proceeding any faster. We also push those speed limits out just a little further and we increase your rev limit um, as well. And then those fan temps that, that I mentioned, we also drop those a, a little bit too. And, and we talked about this a little bit with Matt, but all of what you guys package right out of the box is um, a definite step up from the stock tune, but it's still, um, I'm going to using air quotes very lightly here, conservative to a certain degree, um, because a lot of guys, uh, you know, there's a number of companies out there who uh, offer tunes and things like that. And uh, can you tell me a little bit about what separates, you know, uh, another third party vendor that uses your Power Vision 3 is a, and, and piggybacks their own tune on there versus the tune that you guys put on there? What are the differences and uh, should someone be worried about using a third party tune that may be too aggressive? In some cases, that's uh, just kind of how well you know your tuner, how, you know, if you want to go to one of our, our outside vendors, um, we have some incredible dealers that drive our, our product very hard. They're a great asset to our team and they, they do know what they're doing. There's uh, more than one way to skin a cat. So mm -hmm. if they, instead of making changes in the VE table, they do it in the IPW comp table, which is, uh, individual cylinders. Um, like you said, we do maintain a safe level of, of tunes. And if you want to go level twos and threes and fours and a hundred octane, and you're going to install a, a different head shim that one of our vendors might, uh, might have as well. Um, yeah, that's kind of where if you're going to trust them to, you're going to buy their exhaust, you're going to buy their intake, um, by all means, yes, use one of their off the shelf tunes or a tune designed, exactly for that mm -hmm. um they they might have a slightly different take on how aggressive the throttle table should feel which is totally fine um and that's why we open our software not only to the public but also our dealers and vendors who, who do great work that's i think that's one of the most unique things um it's funny i was having a discussion with my brother he is uh he is a doctor of computer science and he's uh he does research for um, Google and Mozilla and a bunch of different things. And uh, I was talking to him that I had a, an interview with you guys. And I said, one of the coolest things is they have almost, you know, to a certain degree made these tunes in the tuning platform open source. And I think that that is just one of the coolest things because, you know, you guys not only have the delivery mechanism nailed to a T, offer your own tunes, but just like you mentioned, the other vendors, you guys kind of hand it over and say, use it at your own risk, but I've seen some tunes and seen some horsepower and numbers and not, you know, I've seen things with my own eyes where you guys have created a tool in which you can really make these machines into like demon like machines and just vicious machines. So I want to, you know, I want to applaud not only the open source ideology, but also uh, just the fact that you guys have opened the door for some crazy development. Absolutely. Uh, and we, we appreciate that feedback. Uh, we are a, a, a customer driven company. We're enthusiasts at heart. Um, so if somebody wants to go really fast, we want to help them get there. That's awesome. So that's uh, kind of where I wanted to see what came next for you guys. Um, you guys are out there with racers all the time, uh, adjusting these things. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the process of how, you know, your, your Dynojet as a, as a business progresses and grows and expands and things like that. What comes next for you guys? Well, what comes next is going to be, we're going to take a look at the 2021 models. Uh, we're going to see what's changed on those. Yeah. Um, 
in, in some cases, myself being a mechanical engineer, um, I, I do some 3D modeling. Um, and uh, if we have to dig into a, a different clutch, maybe there, there's no longer team clutches on a Polaris or Can-Am completely changes theirs. And we want to continue to evolve with whatever they're installing in stock form. We mm -hmm. want to rip it apart and analyze it with a pair of calipers. Um, and myself personally, sometimes I'll jump on the CNC machine and mm -hmm. have a set of prototype weights and we'll, uh, we'll actually throw them in an oven. We'll uh, harden them yeah. and uh, I'll, I'll ship them down to our, our test guys in Vegas. They might have a, a racer guy that's coming through the shop with that exact rig that we're designing it for. And we want to give him that adjustment, you know, kind of on those, those prototypes set up, send him out in the field. He can go to 200 miles out in the desert and come back and tell us it worked or it didn't work. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah. So continuing to evolve and change is um, we're just going to keep our foot on the floor and uh, any of the new vehicles that come out, if there's a different uh, language inside the ECU or the 2021 tune has a different, um, there's a couple keys inside the ECU that we, that we ping on. If one of them doesn't have support, well, we'll get in one of those vehicles. We'll get a read from it and uh, we'll begin uh, defining all those tables, making sure that there's uh, anything UTV space or fuel injected that we want to continue supporting their line. We're, we're right at the front of it. Okay. I got two more things for you. Just made me realize one is uh, the Honda Talon. The Honda yeah. Talon is not, I, I may be wrong. It's got a full like paddle shift manual transmission um, have you guys looked into that at all? I mean, is that, I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about it. Uh, what are your thoughts on that style of transmission, that style of setup uh, for the UTV space? Absolutely. Yes. DinoJet does offer a PowerVision 3 for the Honda Talon. Um, we have, have looked at that. We can reflash that. Um, and uh, the dual clutch transmission is a, a fancy little gizmo. Um, it is not a, a primary clutch and a secondary clutch. There's, valve bodies and fluids and, and solenoids that are jumping back and forth to uh, put it in specific gears. Um, and it's a, a well-crafted system. Um, it's used on the Africa twin line of uh, motorcycles from Honda as well. Um, the dr driving of them, I, I only spent a little bit of time in one down in Moab um, on one of the Honda demo days. And it was, it was pretty fun. They've, they've got the sport mode and the automatic versus uh, manual transmission. And uh, they, they put the power to the ground really, really well. Um, I've also, up here in the shop, uh, a friend of mine had bought a Honda Talon, and uh, we wanted to see where we may have been missing some tables um, mm -hmm. or if we had the machine fully defined. So we put a turbo kit on it and realized <laughs> there were some thresholds that, uh, oh yeah, we needed to open that table over there. Um, I put in different injectors, so I needed a scaling table. And mm -hmm. just by doing that project here in the shop, you really learn that, yeah, Honda did a great job. And now as we try to make more and more, we need to expose those tables and, and give con consumers what they need to tune their ride. So let me ask you this. With your experience um, with the Honda and, and your, you said your wife has the, the Razor uh, and, and Matt, I'm sure who's listening, um, Matt has the Can-Am. I'm sure you've had your hands in all of them, on all of them. Uh, if you were to go out today and buy a brand new machine, which one would it be? Oh man, My, myself being in Montana, uh, and we do have that 50 inch width restriction. I would, I would probably have, if I had to go buy another machine, I would go buy another 50 inch, uh, Polaris razor at yeah. this point. They haven't changed since 2015, which I'm hoping, you know, fingers crossed, <laughs> we, we've got something new coming for us. Yeah. Um, 
I, I just really feel at home in them. They're, they're kind of like driving a Jeep. Um, mm -hmm. I, I love the interiors on some of the other rigs, the, the Can-Am Maverick, the trail, if we're talking all 50 inches here. Um, each manufacturer has a totally different take on what an interior should feel, how the machine should look. <laughs> and uh, the body lines of them, they're all different, which is perfect. Variety is the spice of life. Yeah. Um, in, in those Can-Am, sometimes I feel like I'm in a Batmobile. I'm kind of down. I'm low slung um, and crawling over rocks, uh, being in trees, uh, you know, rapid ups and downs. Sometimes I'll lose sight of the ground a little quicker, which is why I just personally I, I do prefer the Polaris at this point. Yeah, I, I tell people who regularly listen to the show, they're going to just be tired of me talking about it. Have you been in the new Kawasaki yet? Not yet, and gall darn, I really want to be. Um, oh, that new KRX one thousand, they've they've really opened it up. Um, I've seen a couple of them out in uh, our BLM area, just just to the to our west, and they look aggressive. They look well built, and uh, we're we're gonna also start offering product for that as well. Amazing, because that if I were, um, I, so I'm a bit of a rebel in terms of. Uh, wanting to go get new machines or try something new. I almost bought a Wildcat uh, or the Wildcat XX, whichever one comes from the Arctic Cat line. Um, almost bought one. And then, I, you know, the, the company now is doing weird things and you got Speed UTV building one-offs on them. Glad I didn't do that. But this Kawasaki, it is overbuilt for the amount of power it has. And I'm very curious to see uh, in the power department, if they build the turbo, if they do all that, but I actually sat in one and I have to say, this is not a creature comfort car. This is, I'm going out to the trail and I want to go trail ride. I want to have fun. It's huge. The whole thing is big and it's all big and overbuilt and strong and powerful. It's great. Um, that's the car for me as compared to the new pro XP. Uh, I rode one of those. That's like riding in, uh, it's like riding in a brand new Jeep. It's extremely crazy comfortable uh drives under itself probably drives better than any vehicle i've ever been in um but i still you know that kawasaki's kind of like talking in my ear a little bit and uh just to give matt a little bit of credit um i went for a ride in hubert roland from nitro circus his can am uh and and he's running some of y'all stuff too and that is the most violently aggressive car i've ever been in, in my life hands down just insane amounts of power feels like the wheels are going to rip the, you know, go right off the frame and the engine's going to blow out the back. But man, it is just crazy amounts of power. And I think it's a really cool time to be a UTV guy. I think it's a really cool time to be a motorsports person. Uh, it's just all kinds of cool stuff. So I love it. Absolutely. Well, the, the OEMs are delivering some really fancy toys for us. And luckily we, we get to go, go play with them uh, and enjoy the fruits of their labor. And then as far as dino jets concerned, the more they pump out, the more it makes us want to, well, let's keep playing, see what we can design and see how far we can push this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that's pretty much all I had. Uh, Donojet Matt wanted me to ask you about the Moab story where you guys, I think you had a rollover story. So so talk to me. Tell me about it. Yeah, uh, just classic rookie driver, if you want to call it, on, on rock crawling. And actually, I can blame it on I'm used to driving a Polaris and he made me drive the, the Can-Am X3. There you um, go. <laughs> so, yeah, so we left we left the the Moab the Rally on the Rocks uh, kind of paddock there, and we started up. Um, I can't even remember the name of the trail, but it's the one right next to the river as you as you leave town. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
st started crawling up through some rocks and uh, all was going well. I made it over a couple obstacles. One of them was called like the devil's crack. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, just got into the, into this little area and we were on a ride with uh, um, a couple employees from uh, STI and we were kind of doing a photo shoot on some of their new new tires, just getting some footage. And uh, now DinoJet Matt's X3 had some STI tires on it, wanted mm -hmm. to get a couple shots of those crawling over some rocks. And with Matt being my, my co-pilot, I just watched this uh, big Razor Turbo S crawl up over these rocks and figured, oh, I'll, I'll just do the same thing in this nice low slung Can-Am X3 with the sway bar still in <laughs> and uh, followed his same line and eventually just kind of paneled out on the skid plate and started sliding to one side. And uh, once that tire caught and didn't spin, it kind of buckled under itself. The suspension dropped all the way out and over we went, one complete revolution. And Matt jumped out of that car faster <laughs> than <laughs> I've ever seen him move before. And uh, all it did was kind of, Put a ding in the door, bent the door in, um, and uh, gave Matt a little bruise on, on the elbow. Um, yeah. But yeah, that uh, that was a big eye opener for watching the performance of, say, a seventy-two inch ride wide uh, Turbo S versus a nice sixty-four inch narrower Can Am, and just the capabilities of what each machine's supposed to be. You know, the criticalness of what tire pressure are you running, and you know, if you're nice and squishy, great. You can get some traction over rocks. Um, take your sway bars out if you're going to go rock crawling and, uh, <laughs> um, and just really keep an eye on uh, just the scenery. Uh, and hopefully it, the scenery stays up and the dirt stays down. Yes. Shiny side up. Is, shiny side up. Is the good one I like to say, but uh, that's awesome. And uh, I'm just, I'm just so glad to have you on the show because I really feel like Again, I'm going to listen to this again because there's details and there's things I want to go over again. And uh, chances are I'll reach back out to you. We'll have you on again for all the things that uh, I need to ask you next. And uh, we'll go from there. But uh, TJ, it was awesome to have you on the show today. Uh, what we'll do is we'll end this and uh, we'll hang out and talk for a few minutes and uh, we'll go from there. But anything else you wanted to talk about before we close it? No, not at all. Uh, DinoJet ourselves, we uh, we just continue to to love that our customers out there, customers love their rides. They and we we appreciate everybody's support out there, um, even through um, kind of our crisis times here. Um, we've had still just um, decent following. Our our loyal customers are still um, popping onto our website and mm -hmm. uh, giving us props. So I, I appreciate DinoJet being able to be involved in the UTV space. And you know, power commander schemes and Harleys and snowmobiles. So whatever it might be, Dino Jet, we want to be there with you. Well, cool, TJ. With that, we'll end the broadcast. And uh, thank you, sir, for being on with us today. Right on, pleasure, Jesse. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the show. I do want to give one more shout out to Supergrip ATV Tires. I highly recommend the Kevlar upgrade. I know that there is a few retailers right now who are doing a buy the. Um, Buy the Super Grip ATV K9 tires for the radial price and getting a free Kevlar upgrade. Um, these are the tires. I just hope y'all's drivetrain is ready for them. These tires not only um, will hook up and, and have extremely strong sidewalls and extremely strong belts and patterns and things like that, but they'll also, um, I mean, they'll just last forever. I run the standard compound. There is a softer compound called the Intermediate that they sell as well. 
um, and that tire is more geared towards trail only use uh, and the standard is geared towards the kind of do-it-all tire uh, including a little bit of road miles I'll tell you this though I have the standard compound and the car tree I mean the tires they they act like a sticky I really don't think I need the intermediates uh, super grips gonna hook me up with a set of those and I'll get a good review out for those sometime soon but as for now that standard compound is awesome for those who may have missed it in the intro, they have a shipment coming in middle of the month and end of the month. So all the retailers that you're used to buying Supergrip ATV tires from, they will be in stock shortly. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for um, you know just kind of enduring the the shortages while they've had, and uh, hopefully we won't have to endure this anymore. Uh, our next sponsor is Dynojet Research Inc. Dynojet's clutch kit, stage two clutch kit with the PowerVision 3 tuner. Um, if it were me and you could only pick one of the two, I would highly recommend the clutch kit. Uh, it made the most substantial difference. If you've got a little bit extra and you can squeeze it out, that PowerVision 3 not only does it supply your car with a tune, but there's also uh, other tunes that you can download to that car. There's updates that you can download through the PowerVision 3 controller. Also, I use it as actually uh, a speedometer. Um, I'm really thinking about redoing my dash and taking the, the standard Razor uh, dash out and so only using my PowerVision 3. Tracks RPMs, engine temperature, speedometer, gear, everything you need to know is available on that PowerVision 3 uh, tuner there. It's a really wonderful piece of software that also comes with it because you can also actually build custom tunes using the logging tools that are built into the PowerVision 3 tuner. Dinojet Research Inc. on Facebook uh, and reach out to our friends through the website and uh, let them know that you're coming from Racing on the Rocks and uh, see what they'll do for you. Uh, Infinite Off-Road, again, just mentioned, just going to highlight it again. We're going to be doing another giveaway. Uh, I'm not exactly sure of the products just yet, but we'll be doing a giveaway shortly with Infinite Off-Road in June. Uh, rock lights, whips, wheel rings, light bars, light pods, everything that you can think of. Um, Infinite Off-Road makes the best in the business, and it's backed by the craziest warranty in the off-road industry, that in, that warranty being 25 years Um no questions asked, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, it even covers accidental damage, but a 25-year hassle-free warranty. The claim process is extremely easy, and Infinite Offroad does an excellent job of getting everything shipped out extremely quickly as well. Infinite Offroad on Facebook and Instagram, infiniteoffroad.com. Last but not least, All Things UTV. Uh, All Things UTV supplied us with their Razor Aid Tender Spring upgrades. The Razor Aid Tender Spring upgrade is a very cheap um, upgrade that you have to do to your car. If you're not going to get a full spring kit like their Cloud 9 kit, I highly recommend just upgrading your tenders. It seriously made a night and day difference in the ride quality. Uh, the handling is better. Everything about the car, I mean, my overall satisfaction with the car multiplied when I put the tender springs on just because I wasn't getting the crap beat out of me I wasn't getting uh, you know just destroyed by the vehicle so I highly recommend checking out razor aid tender spring upgrades from all things utv.com all right everybody that's it thanks for listening to the show hope you gained something from it and I uh, hope you enjoy it and if you guys want something else or someone else or anything like that on the show please feel free uh, shoot me suggestions on Facebook or Instagram at racing on the rocks all right thanks everybody